You are listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. It's the week of Sunday, June 26th, part 11 in Romans, the Declaration. Here we go. Romans chapter 8 is where we're at. Back half of Romans 8. And this is a fun one. It's lots of stuff to talk about, a little bit of time. Um, it's kind of like if you remember the movie Aladdin. This, this passage has giant cosmic powers and itty bitty living space. And so we got to cram a lot into a little. Um, what Paul has been talking about is this whole conversation about choose your moral code. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. It doesn't matter if you think man is the measure of all things. It doesn't matter if you think your law is special because it's God's law. It doesn't matter. Pick your standard. You fall short of it. So we're all kind of in the same boat. We have this level playing field. And the reality is we have acts that lead to life. We have acts that lead to death. And acts that lead to life lead to life, whether you follow God or not. Acts that lead to life lead to life. Acts that lead to death lead to death, just the way it is. Okay? It's the way things are created to function. And so what we're talking about in Romans 7 is, well, that's great. I'm glad for that. If acts that lead to life lead to life, I know that. Like, I can mentally ascend to that. And acts that lead to death lead to death. I can mentally ascend to that. Then why do I want to do the things that lead to death so bad? Why, why is it that, you know, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? You know what I'm saying? How, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't feel right for very long. That's why. Um, but anyway, the, like the, what we talked about is the reason why we get attracted to these things that lead to death, and we know they lead to death. We know that. We know, again, we use the example, there's no successful, there's no person who's strung out on heroin going, man, that really worked out well. There's just the acts that lead to death lead to death. They just do. Um, and, and it's the way things function. And so... Um, why is it that I'm drawn to that so badly? Well, it's because I choose to believe a lie that sin tells me. Sin tells me that I'm a thing, that I'm, uh, that I'm no good, that I'm inadequate, that I'm a mistake, that I'm damaged, that I'm useless, that I'm helpless, I'm hopeless. That's the lie that sin tells me. God says that I'm something other entirely. What God says, Romans chapter 8, the first half is there's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. You aren't a mistake, an accident, a whoops, hopeless, helpless, useless. You're not those things. You are an incredibly precious gift that God gave the world. You're a child of God. You are his precious possession. You are. That's what the Bible says. You are. And so we then have the responsibility of telling the world what they are or aren't in a particular way. Because when we reinforce the, well, you're a sinner, you're bad, you're a mistake, and it's a good thing Jesus died for you, and you better say yes to him or else. When that's our gospel, then what we do is we reinforce the lies that sin tells us. What we have to do is say, listen, there is a way that the world is supposed to function, and we sense that there's more than what we're experiencing. We all sense it. And we want to do the right thing. We want to do the right thing. But here's the truth. Do the right thing. Give your life away. Forgive. Don't take revenge. Serve. Give your life in service. Pour your life out as an offering to God. And guess what's going to happen? People are going to take advantage of you. They are like, what, what the? Just because I choose to do the right thing doesn't mean that you will. And if you don't do the right thing, then even if I do do the right thing, what? difference does it make? Are you with me? This is... <laughs> you couldn't have been a more perfect person, Judy. 
I love you. <laughs> By the way, Judy's a brand new grandma, so you need to give her a hug and say congratulations. Well, Tom, Tom, you're never on Facebook, so I don't know what you are, but I know Judy has posted a couple of photos on her Facebook page. All right, so we were talking about Romans 8, and we just lost two minutes. Okay, Romans 8, Paul is going to wrestle in, what I love about the back half of Romans 8 is we're going to get the great kind of like in conclusion, or why does all this matter? This whole conversation that he's been having since Romans chapter 3, why does this matter? We're going to get that point here today, maybe, if we have time to get there. What he's going to begin with is this question of, but even if I do the right thing, there's no guarantees that you will, and if you don't, the world still stays broken. So even if I do the right thing, the world still stays broken. So is it worth it? Is it even worth it? Now, these are people that understand the consequence of people acting in a broken way. We've talked about this in the first century, but like when we talk about suffering, we talk about suffering like, you know, I walked out the side this morning to go to work and my car wouldn't start. You know, my battery's dead. The Lord's testing me. No, your battery's dead. That happens. <laughs> Change your battery. It's like 40 bucks. It happens. They got them at Walmart or Napa or AutoZone or O'Reilly's. Any of those places will give you exactly what you need to withstand, the, endure the pain, the suffering that we, right? like, oh, I can't be sick today. The Lord's testing me. No, you have a virus that happens. Like, that happens. There's not necessarily any kind of a spiritual connection. Life has a way. These are people that were watching their friends and family members be butchered for their faith. These were people that if you said yes to Jesus, it is highly possible that you were going to wind up being thrown to lions. They were watching their children have their heads cut off for the fact that they said they believed in Jesus. This is a different layer of engagement. Are you with me? I don't know that we know how to suffer real well in our culture. We don't like it. These people understood the cost of the people around them not living according to the created agenda. And they're wrestling with, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth the possibility that I could be imprisoned, tortured, killed? Is it worth, is it, worth it? For them, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. And so here's what Paul says. He starts with this. I consider that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Okay, stop there. Let's talk about this for a second. What Paul is saying is that when man chose his own agenda rather than God's agenda, all of creation suffered. You know why? Because he started misusing creation. Both the trees, the plants, the rocks, the dirt, the water, that level of creation, and other people. He started to misuse other people. 
We take advantage of them. We use them for our own pleasure, our own interests, our own bottom line, whatever. So all of creation is subjected to frustration because man misuses it. And so what it does is it waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. You know why? Because the children of God don't misuse creation. The children of God help creation function properly at every level, whether that's relationship without question. It's relationship with you and I. It's relationship with God. But it's also our relationship to, to the trees. It's our relationship to the water. It's our relationship to the animal. It's our relationship to all of creation. All of it is waiting for those of us that are willing to stand in and say, we'll act the way God said we were supposed to. Now, I'm not a tree hugger. I grew up in a logging and mining community. Cut the trees down and dig the holes. I, I am an advocate of that. This provides jobs. It provides resources. It provides things that we need. However, don't take something without putting something else back. This is stewardship. Does that make sense? You cut the trees down, but plant more. Are you with me? This is stewardship. Don't make it look like the moon and then walk away. Take care of it because that's what the children of God do. We care for what God created, whether that's trees or squirrels or whatever, lions or ticks. I don't know why God created ticks, but that's... They think they serve a purpose. I, they probably do, but I can't see it. So, But whatever God created, we are charged to care for it. Are you with me? Especially one another. Especially one another. So this isn't a truism just for our relationships with one another, although it plays out there. This is also a truism for how we steward all of creation. And all of creation wants us to care for it well. Okay. In hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves have, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now let me talk a little bit about this. There's a whole huge conversation to be had here. I'm just going to touch it. What does it mean that we have these groanings, these inward groanings? We have this, the, the spirit in us that's working in us. And have you noticed, for those of you that have been walking with the Lord for a while, the closer you get to the Lord, the more that we go, oh my goodness, culture is getting further and further away from God. Okay, have you, have you guys picked up on this? Here's what I would suggest. I don't believe that that's an accurate way to see it. I think the way to see it is the longer that I walk with the Lord, the closer and closer I am to him, the more that I see the distance that was already there. It's not about culture changing as much as it is about me changing. And that's okay. Like, I, what, what the reason why that matters is because we can have a tendency to get into the culture and be like, oh, it's falling apart. Oh, the degradation of humanity. Oh. And we start to have this sense of fear and doom and gloom and hopelessness, right? No, 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 no. Creation has always been subjected to this frustration, and culture has always been difficult. There have always been moral issues that we wrestle with. There have always been fear of our next leader. 
which I find, like, I find fascinating this whole election season. I really try not to be political. I do. But this one has got everybody's interest peaked. It, like, everybody's watching. And, and all of these people are like, oh, no, we have a megalomaniac or a criminal. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Like, because that's the first time that that choice was presented to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to choose the lesser of two evils. Well, I'm going to blah, blah, blah. He's just, you know, what happens is, if we're not careful, we can start to present as followers of God the same fear-mongering that the world uses to control us. And for us, we've got to tell a better story. Our, I, listen, the Bible says that there is no authority that's over us that God hasn't put there. So sit with that. Even if it means that our country got train wrecked and we lost our lifestyle, because that would be tragic. Like, I don't want to lose, I like, I like my lifestyle. There's nothing evil about that, but would we be willing to give it up if that's where things went? Like, would we, or would we yell and scream and be afraid and pout and throw a fit? Because we deserve, I deserve, I'm American, I deserve this. That's Hellenism to its core, guys. That's Hellenism to its core. The, the Christian approach to all things political is one of peace. Like, I have hopes and dreams about how I would like to see the government function. Guess what the odds are that Washington's going to listen to me? <laughs> really, really bad. Um, but I pray because I know the one who steers men's hearts, right? And I also know that when I pray to the Lord and I offer it to him, he steers my heart too. I just wanna, I wanna offer us this, this reality that we can get into a trap of presenting Jesus the same way the world presents us with this hopeless, helpless, fearful thing about us. And I would say that God wants more for you. God wants more for you than that. Now, I'll probably get some emails about that. Um, don't. Just don't. Um, I will just delete it. Because uh, I'm not into a political debate. I want to get into a political debate, and there are people that are like, no, you have to have an opinion. You have to have an opinion. Right, listen, have an opinion. I don't care have an opinion. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is don't lose your peace over your opinion. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay? Are you with me? Okay, here we go. But hope that is seen is no hope at all who hopes for what they already have. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. By the way, there's a few volumes written on what that means from various different um, perspectives. Google it uh, and have fun. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his holy purpose. And I do not like at all the way that the church uses this verse. Now, church capital C. I myself personally have been... I would label it as spiritually abused by this verse. Now, 
here's the deal. I'm a big boy. I can handle it, okay? But what we don't recognize is the damage we do when someone is in the midst of a crisis in their life. There's tragedy. There's mess. There's pain. There's suffering. There's whatever. And we Romans 8, 28 them. Well, all things were for good. Oh, well, then I feel better. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And the problem is we make people jaded about their faith, about the word of God. Because we talk about this every Advent season. Jesus didn't take on flesh and become a man in order to liberate us out of our problems. He took on flesh and become a man to join us in them. Maybe we should act like him. Stop trying to yank people out of their mess and join people in their mess, and I guarantee you whatever God does with that's going to be awesome. And maybe the mess gets resolved. Thank you. Maybe the mess gets, I'll be here all week. Uh, maybe the mess gets resolved, maybe it doesn't, but what I can tell you is what will happen is a better version of Jesus living in both of us. And that's the goal. That's the goal. We have to understand, because what we want to do, with the, with the, and this is noble at one level, we want to go out and solve the world's problems, right? We want to fix where everybody's hurting so they'll be happy. And we believe that God is a leverage tool for that, for your happiness. Listen, you can't fix terminal disease. Are you with me? Don't tell me all things work out for good to those that love the Lord as if I'm supposed to be happy about that. This doesn't fix, like when, it, when a child dies or when there's uh, abuse or what, I mean, whatever it is, whatever, like there are big things that when you Romans 8, 28 somebody, you demean them. It is demeaning to that person. By the way, for what it's worth, this verse doesn't say that all things are good. There's some things that really suck. It says that there will be good that will come out of it. All of these things will work for good if we continue on this path. It will work for good. But what I wanted to let you know is maybe that resolution, that good that comes out of that may not be on this side of glory. Now, there, it could be, and we hold on to that hope, because we, we believe with all of our being that Jesus didn't only come to save us. He did, but he didn't only come to save us. He also came to heal us and set us free. But even if there is no resolution until we stand face to face with the Lord, the things that we're enduring, the promise that we have is that what we're enduring will not even be worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us then. And that's one of the reasons why we need spiritual community so badly because we get in the midst of our own mess and we believe that our mess is all there is. And what community does is it helps us because some of us in this room today are going through really, really bad stuff. Some of us are really doing well. Like, like God is everywhere we go, we see God at work and we're close and we've been in the word and we just blah, blah, blah. That's a great mix because guess what? In a month, guess what's going to happen? <laughs> now my life sucks, right? Like what happened? The, what we need is we need one another to be able to say, listen, listen, this morning 
I spent time with God. I went to the throne room. And your tragedy does not sit on the throne of heaven. Hang in there. And this is going to be hard, and it's going to be messy, and I don't know what it's going to look like, and I don't know what all the nuances of the grieving process is going to look like, and I don't know what healing is going to look like exactly, but what I can commit to you is this. No matter what happens, I will be with you on the other side of this. And if it's just you and me standing together back to back, still trying to swing at this stuff, you are not alone. It doesn't give us the antidote to our tragedy. It gives us the courage to take another step. Are you with me? This is the power of me too. I, I, got, I got so many stories I would love to share with you about how this verse has been misused in my life, like unbelievable um, I was sharing a story about something that was real near and dear to my heart, and I was right sitting in the middle of it and in the middle of the situation. And I mean, I was, I was toe up from the flow up because it was, it was I don't want to get all technical on you, but that, I, felt, I, was, I was messed up. And, and like emotionally, I was like really like wrestling with, it's one of those, it was one of those moments that for me was big enough that it knocked my faith off center, which I love those on the other side of that, but being in the middle of it, it's kind of messy sometimes. Are you with me? And so I'm sitting in the middle of this and I'm trying to share with this group what's going on. And this guy gets up right in the middle of it, right in the middle of me sharing. I'm in tears, broken, and I don't cry a lot. So for me, to, it was kind of a, like I'm tasting of the fruit of naked and exposed, right? Like you, you know this moment where you share and you're like, I don't know how this is going to go. This guy stands up right in the middle of it. No joke, no joke. Pats me on the shoulder, says Romans 8, 28, brother. And then he gets up and walks out of the room. I was like... I just murdered you in my heart. Like, it, <laughs> and Jesus says that if I do it in my heart, it's like I did it already. So might as well. <laughs> like it's devastating to me. Devastating. Devastating. Like I have, I have graduate degrees. I know what Romans 8.28 says. I know what the promises of God are. But when I'm in the midst of the mess, I don't need you to be trite. The promise of God here isn't that if I remember that God is good, that it's going to make everything go away. The promise here is that we have a higher reason for why we do what we do. And here's the thing you have to understand. If, and I said this already, if you give your life in service to God, to created agenda, to functioning properly, forgiveness, generosity, um, not taking revenge, all of this stuff that we talk about, if you give your life to these things, people will take advantage of you. They will, I promise you, they will. And when you say, well, why is, well, how is it worth it? Well, here's how it's worth it. Those people will take advantage of you anyway. Whether you do it or not, at least if you give your life in service to God, them taking advantage of you has a point. If you're not going to give your life in service to something bigger than yourself, to the Lord, to, to the fact that this isn't all there is, that there's a bigger reality, a truer, true, a deeper uh, thing that's at work in all of us, if we're not going to give our, then there's no reason to endure the pain that we're going to endure. Are you with me? What we need to be reminded of in the mess is that the mess isn't all there is. Let's read on. 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to all these things? That's his big, in conclusion. So what's the point of all of this? All this stuff that we've been talking about, this enduring and the, it's not about following the rules. It's about acts that lead to life and acts that lead to death. And what this whole conversation, we're all kind of on a level playing field. What is the conclusion of all of this? Here's what he says. If God is for us, then who can be against us? That's the point. It's rough out there, but I promise you that God is bigger than the boogeyman. He is bigger than the monsters or the, I don't know, Godzilla or the monsters on TV. Yeah, you guys have heard this song. For those of you that haven't, VeggieTales. I submit for you, VeggieTales. All right. But this is a huge truth. This is a huge truth for us. If God is for you, then who could be against you? Do you believe that? Do you live like it? Because we can mentally ascend to that truth, but if our actions don't have some somehow show it in our life, then we've missed it. Are you with me? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. You can't, nobody can look at you and go, you don't deserve to be a Christian. You know why? Because it ain't their call. God's the one that called you. And God's the only one who has the right to pick. So if God called you, then what right do they have to say you can't do it? Well, you're not good enough to be a Christian. You're not, you're not spiritual enough. You're not morally correct enough. <laughs> you don't get to pick. So neener, neener, I'm the wiener. All right. Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ died. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, which are real things that they were actually enduring at that point in the name of their faith. As it is written, you, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You ought to be a little motivated about that. Like, yeah, I can. I can do this. I don't have to quit. I don't have to give up. My tragedy doesn't have the final word. My pain isn't all there is. God gives me the ability to be more than a conqueror. You know why? Because he says you are. And who's going to tell you you're anything different? People are going to try, but they don't get to pick. They're not God. Now, a lot of them think they are. They act like they are, but they're not. Uh, for I'm convinced that neither height nor death nor life, nor, uh, neither angels nor demons nor present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing gets in the way 
of God saying, you were made for more. Nothing gets in the way of that. Even the lies, the moral codes that we fail at, all of that stuff can never change the fact that God made you to be something great. And through the power of the Spirit living in us, we can take hold of that, which I love. I love that. Now, we're going to take communion together. And so those of you that are passing out communion, I want you to go grab that, start passing it out. If you're new with us this morning, we have what's called an open table. And what that means is anyone who is willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake in communion with us. Um, we would invite you to hold the elements until the end and we'll take it together. So as they're passing that out, we're going to work through a few implications. Probably there's lots more conversations to be had in your own mind, but these are some implications that I see that might get the conversation started for you. Okay, implication number one. Things are not yet as they should be. Would you agree with that? But that doesn't force us to be as we shouldn't be. Are you with me? We can be everything that God's intended us to be. We just kind of face down the lies that sin tells us, and that's hard sometimes. Next implication. Whatever we face as a result of this broken reality pales in comparison with what we have waiting for us. The stuff, the big issues in our life, we act like we're a boxer in a ring and we're fighting like Mike Tyson or George Foreman or something, you know, some big, huge, mean, tough, and they're just pounding. This is, this is our struggles, our issues, right? Sin and God are not equal but opposite forces in the universe. What we find is when we allow God to be who he is in our life, it's not like we're trying to defend off this great big super heavyweight that's got one punch knockout power. It's like we're holding a little toddler by the head like this that's swinging like this, trying to get at you, trying to convince you that, you're, that he's bigger than he really is, you know? And you're just like this. You got nothing on me, little sin toddler. Whatever we face as a result of this broken reality pales in comparison with what we have waiting for us. It pales in comparison to what we have waiting for us. Next implication. Sometimes it feels like God doesn't see us or love us. You ever felt that way? Where is God? Where is he? I don't know if you guys follow my Facebook thread, but about a week and a half ago, I threw up a question and I was like, um, what are your questions about God? And it was, I, I mean, it was fascinating. The, uh, the, uh, I didn't anticipate such a breadth of response or depth of response, like such a scope of questions as far as the different categories that they cover, but also the number of people that were like, I got a question. I got to, and these are people that you would look at and, they, and you would think, man, they got it all together. They, have, they, don't, they shouldn't have any questions. They got to figure out, no, no, no. So, and some of these questions were like, whoa, that is, that is sacred ground. You just shared a very sacred space. Um, a lot of them had to do with this. Like, where is God in this situation? I don't see him. Where is God when children are hurt when people are starving? Where's God? Where's God when 
people who are going to abuse kids have lots of children and people who would be great parents don't have any. Where's God in that? These are great questions. They're great questions. Sometimes it feels like God doesn't see us or love us, but this lie comes from the brokenness of this world. Where is God only becomes rooted when we get too focused on our own circumstances and not the deeper deep, the truer true. Next implication, God is for us. He is in our corner. He will never bail out on us and nothing will ever change that and that ought to heavily influence how we talk about God in our community. He is absolutely 100% in favor of you. He loves you and has dreams and hopes and plans for you beyond what you ever thought possible. Do you believe that? Do you live like it? Because there is a world out there that desperately needs to know that their pain and tragedy and context and suffering and all that stuff is not all there is. That there is a God who changes us to be the kind of people that make a difference in this world in a way that matters. That we can function according to the created agenda for this world. That we can properly steward creation in all of its aspects. Most importantly, one another. What communion reminds us is that if we're going to be able to pull that off, it's going to take us laying down our own agenda to achieve it. And, and that seems so countercultural. Well, then it's all about sacrifice and you, you suffer while everybody else, you meet everybody else's needs. There's this weird thing that Jesus says. He says, if you lose your life, then in the end, you'll find it. Now, that's not just about heaven. What that means is if you lay your life down, and you do these things that you trust that God actually knows what he's talking about and you start actually doing the things that God actually tells us to actually do. Forgive, be generous, don't take vengeance, be honest, work hard, don't steal. All of these kingdom attributes. Then what you find is your life has more meaning and depth and purpose and reason than you ever thought it could have. When we try to live for ourselves, you get into this spiral of selfish nothingness. It's laying our lives down that gives our life meaning in the first place. It looks a lot like what communion represents. This reminds us that Jesus laid his life down for us so that we could lay our life down for others, so that we could find real purpose, real fulfillment. It reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body given for you. Whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. So let's remember him this morning. And in the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. So let's remember him. Lord, we just want to say we haven't forgotten that the key to this more than conquerors thing isn't in a stronger will or a deeper resolve. It's in us being willing to lay our life down and take up your agenda, trusting that in that process, we find a better version of you living in us and in the people around us. And Lord, gently remind us this week of the old song that says, when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, We look full in your wonderful face that the things of this world grow strangely dim 
not only the successes, but the tragedies as well. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this sermon from Real Life. If you have any questions or feedback about this message, please email comment at liferotp.com. Romans, the Declaration, will continue next Sunday. Until then, be blessed and have a great week.